Praise the Lord, everybody. Amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. It is a highlight and a high honor to be here today with the people of God. And uh, thank you for allowing me to be here for this momentous occasion. It is a joy. It is a delight. And uh, give honor to your mayor and give honor to the contractors, the workers. You all have done a great job. An excellent job, a good work, and I appreciate it. I was snooping around, looking at every nook and cranny, and you guys do things well, and uh, your work shows it. And uh, anyone else here who is official or unofficial or superficial, give you honor as well. I'm just glad that you're here. I don't believe in coincidence or accident. I believe in divine providence. I believe that God orders our steps. I believe God led us to this moment. I don't believe it's a coincidence that you are here. I believe that God's hand is on this day. So good to see my mom and dad. I love them. I give them honor. I'm, I'm just thankful. One of the prayers I pray when I pray in the morning, and I just try to show God thanks and gratitude because I don't want to lose that. And I just say, God, out of 7 billion people on this planet, thank you for allowing my mom and dad to find the truth and to raise me in the truth. We're blessed. We're blessed. So good to see my baby brother and uh, his family. I love them very much. I love them very much. And uh, I don't know if you have a picture of my family. I know not everyone here knows me. My name is Mark Brown. I live in Watertown. And I have a very similar story to your pastor here. Uh, we started a church in a house as well 15 years ago, and God has blessed the work as the years have progressed, and uh, we have uh, seen revival and growth, and I'm thankful to do uh, ministry together with my wife, Jordan, of 17 years, my son, Noah, who's 11, Grace, who is 9, and Eden, who is 6, and then our little rat there, his name's Stimmy, short for stimulus. I thank the U.S. government uh, for their stimulus, and uh, so... Give honor to Grandpa Joe. And so we now have a pet. And so, amen for that. And uh, I'm sorry, I apologize. If you have your Bibles, you can reach for those. The book of John, chapter 9. Mayor Tomes, we were talking before uh, this moment here, his mother, you said, was raised in Sioux Falls. And so that's that's pretty incredible. Sioux Falls is just 90 miles south of me. I fly out of Sioux Falls about two times a month, and then the other two times a month it's out of Watertown. So uh, Sioux Falls is the largest sit city in South Dakota. There's 170,000 people there. The next largest is Rapid City on the west side that has 60,000 people. Then after that, Watertown is the fifth largest city in South Dakota with 20,000 people. We don't even have a million people in the state. There's more people in this room than there is in the state of South Dakota. And uh, so I feel a little nervous here today. John chapter 9. I do believe I have a word from the Lord for this moment. may not be what you think. It should be on a grand opening. It's a word God gave me 10 years ago. And I believe it's for such a time as this. 
John chapter 9, verse 1 through 11, Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth. His disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin that this man, was it his man or was it his parents that he was born blind? It was common in those days to believe if somebody had an impairment, had a sickness, an ailment, tragedy striking them, that it was because they sinned. And we're not far removed from those times. We still kind of have that mindset if something bad's going on, it's because we did something bad. But the rain does fall on the just and the unjust. And Jesus debunks this myth and he says, neither has this man sinned nor his parents. Now he's not saying that they have never sinned in their life. He is just saying the sin is not the consequence or this condition is not the consequence of their sin. But the purpose was that the works of God should be made manifest in him. Jesus said, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had thus spoken, he spat. Someone say he spit. Jesus spit on the ground. He made clay a spittle, not skittles. And he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay, and he said to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which by interpretation means sent. He went his way, therefore, and washed and came seen. The neighbors, therefore, and they which before had seen him that was blind, said, Isn't this the guy that sat and begged? And some said, Well, it is him, for sure, without a doubt. Others said, it looks like him, but I just, I find it hard to believe that it is him. But the man speaks up for himself and he says, it's me, guys. I was that blind beggar. So the questions begin to open up. How in the world were your eyes open? In verse 10. And he responds, Jesus, a man that is called Jesus, made clay, anointed my eyes and said unto me, go to the pool of Siloam wash and I went and washed and I received sight. I have a very clear burden on my heart and clear direction from the Holy Ghost that it is the intent of God today for there to be healing in this house. I have a healing word from the Lord. God's intent is to heal people here today. And I believe virtue is going to flow if we would align with God's will. If we can, the best way to get God's attention is to give him your undivided attention. If for just the next few moments, if we could focus, put our phones on off or silent, do not disturb and just give God our focus. He's going to work in this next place. Would you pray with me? God, I love you. I give you the glory. I give you the honor. I give you the praise. There is None like you, there is none beside you. Lord, you are good and your mercy endures forever. I pray that your kingdom would come. I pray that your will would be done here on earth as it is 
in heaven. Jesus, I pray you roll back the roof of this church and fixate a ladder between heaven and earth and open up the windows of heaven. And God, I pray, Lord, that your presence would walk through this place. Jesus, be the glory. Jesus, to you be the honor. To you be the praise. I love you. I magnify you. I lift you up. God, you are wonderful. You are excellent. Your loving kindness, it is better than life. Would you give the Lord a hand clap? He's awesome. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. I want to talk to you for the next few moments about this subject. When God spits in your face, when God spits in your face, would you turn to your neighbor, smile, extend your hand, look at him and say, <clears throat> and shake their hand before you're seated. Every now and again in my Bible reading, there are moments in the scripture that I just, I have to do a double take. It's kind of like, did that just really happen? Did I just read what I thought I read? And this is one of those moments where you look and you just kind of can be puzzled and perplexed. And for me personally, I, I think all miracles obviously are amazing. But this one, this is an interesting method of a miracle. A lot of times God just spoke the word and it happened. Or it was a gentle touch and the miraculous ensued. But here in this miracle, the Lord used spit. If you did not know this, hopefully you have learned it over the past two years. Our saliva, our spit is one of the most unsanitary things. Just like when, when it, it, like in South Dakota, we're a little different. This is not a bragging thing or a political thing. It's just our reality. We're the only place on the planet that never had mandates, restrictions. Like we continue life as always. We have not went through what y'all have went through in Illinois and the majority of this country. And so when I begin to travel again, because uh, my wife and I have been uh, provided an opportunity to travel across the country and minister, uh, I remember going to an airport, and when I got there and I walked into the I was really nervous because I didn't know about all the, the restrictions and rules, and I, I'm really nervous. I don't want the SWAT team to get me. And so I'm, I'm walking, treadling carefully. And when I got off the plane, I went into the restroom in the Chicago airport, and I, I remember seeing something I never saw in my life. Men washing their hands. I was like, if that's, if that's the biggest lesson we can get from COVID, thank God that there are men now that wash their hands. Spitting is disgusting. Not only is it unsanitary, it is poor manners. I see some young men here up front, assuming that you guys are all single, and one day that you want to find a lady friend. Just, just a little friendly advice to my nephew, Jonathan. You see a, a lady in this house, and you want to date her and court her. You, you go up to her. I don't recommend this. Hey, how you doing? <laughs> She's going to walk the other way. Now, if she stays, 
That's an interesting lady you found. But it is poor manners. Not only that, but spitting is insulting. Has anyone ever had someone spit on you before? Now, well, I'll never forget being, I think it was relieving. We had this other family tradition where we would go to the White Sox game around the 4th of July and watch fireworks going off. And, and we, uh, I'll have a, I'll just mention or not mention the unnamed relative that we were in the vehicle with, but it's a little traffic getting out of the stadium and, and uh, someone cut off someone and someone within our pink minivan rolled down the window and spit on the other person. Didn't turn out very good. I do not recommend it. If you've ever had someone spit on you, I just want you to know they weren't paying you homage. They weren't giving you a compliment. They were ticked off at you. And that was the clearest way they could communicate their distaste for you is by releasing saliva onto you. It is a humiliating gesture. Not only is spit mentioned here in the New Testament, the story that we are reading, but God took time in the Old Testament to write a law about your spit. Did you know that? You know, we think of the Ten Commandments, but there's like hundreds of commandments in the Old Testament. And God made sure he wanted to address the topic of spit and saliva. And he made a law about it. He said, if, if somebody spit on you, you are not permitted to go to the house of God for seven days. In fact, you're talking about quarantine, seven days, 14 days. Before, you know, the CDC caught up with God's word, God's word already set up a 14-day quarantine. That's how we know. See, science, the real true scientist is catching up and discovering what God already established thousands of years ago. And so if someone spit on you, you couldn't go to the house of God for seven days. It's just like, you know, if you're thinking, man, I really don't like so-and-so. I don't want to see him at church next week. <laughs> no worries. No problem. Spit was used upon Jesus. When Jesus was on an illegal trial, and they began to throw accusations at him. And when they found him guilty and they began to accuse him and they began to mock him and insult him, they put a blindfold on Jesus' face and they slapped him and began to spit on him, as it said in Matthew chapter 26, verses 66 through 68. They began to spit on Jesus' face and they say, why don't you prophesy to us? If you really be the Son of God, tell us who it is that smote you. If you could see past that blindfold, and Jesus really could see past that blindfold. He could have said, your name is Mark Brown in Watertown, 5 foot 5. You live in 903 2nd Street, Northwest, March 11th, 1984. He could have read their mail, but the Bible says, as a sheep, before its shear was silent. He did not open his mouth because he had a greater purpose. He said, they might reject me now, but I'm going to die for them in hopes that they will receive me. I thank God for a Savior. I thank God for one who is not distant, but he is near and he loves us. But hear me, man spitting on you is not the same as God 
spitting on you. I would rather have God spit on me for my worst moment with God is better than my best day in this world with man. In John chapter 9, verse 23 through 27, we revisit the story of this blind man with his miracle. It is beginning to spread rapidly around the area and people have questions of what happened, what occurred. When you jump down to verse 26, they said, how in the world were your eyes opened? How could this be? You're blind. There's never been blind people healed that can see now. They analyzed the miracle because it did not make sense. If it was a mere formula, we would find somebody with an impairment and just, just spit on them. And everything would be okay. But that's not how things typically work. And the truth of the matter is, you cannot make sense of everything that God says. Some things just simply are, and we will not understand it until we arrive on the other side. And we have a mind of regeneration, and we have a mind that God begins to speak to us. Then we'll look back over our lives and understand why things went the way they did. Anybody here have parents? A couple of you? Assuming you came from somewhere? You know, I, I wasn't the best kid. In fact, of the three, I was the worst. Or four, I'm sorry. I love my sister. She's not here today, so I'm just thinking about the three that are here. But I, 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 I was, I was, I caused a lot of problems, and I'm, I'm pretty stubborn. And you can interview my mom and dad after service and ask them about some of the infamous battle royales of, of just the standoffs that we have had. It, it was not the prettiest of sights. And we were raised in uh, the south uh, side of Chicago, more in the suburbs. We weren't inner city, but um, there's still enough riffraff around there. That's the beautiful thing about South Dakota when it's negative 40 degrees. There's a saying up north, oh, the cold keeps out the riffraff. And so there's just things we don't have to deal with that you guys deal with because of frostbite. It's fantastic. And um, anyways, the, the, there would be these moments where, you know, my friends that their parents really did not have boundaries or guidelines for them. They can go out and do whatever till midnight, till 1 to 2 in the morning. And I would ask my mom, you know, hey, hey, I'd like to hang out with so-and-so. Can I, can I go hang out with him? Can I go do this? And, and my mom, oh, no, no, mijo, you cannot go. That's how I hear my mom. But she's learning, so her, her dialect's changed a little bit over the years. But it, it, it was basically like she would tell me no, and I would get aggravated. I'd like, come on, I just, I just want to hang out. I'll, I'll be back by midnight. No, no, you, you, you can't go. Come on, let's please let me go. No, no, I'm, I want to go. No, please, no. Please. And it would go back and forth like a ping pong table, just back and forth. And finally, I would get so frustrated, and I would say, why? And she would say, because I Your folks said that too. There's no worse statement to a child 
than a parent who says, because I said so. No explanation, no dissertation, no reasoning, just because I said so. And I would flip, I would be so upset. I made a vow that day before the Lord when, when my mom and dad would say it. I will never, ever say that. Well, three kids later, we have these things in South Dakota. They're, they're parasites. They're called grandparents. In our home, we run a pretty tight ship. My wife's pretty organic. You know, there's no, there's no soda in there. We don't have, like, you know, stacked Mountain Dew. We don't have, you know, just boundless candy everywhere. You know, she, she loves those organic cauliflower, doesn't everybody? And organic broccoli. Mmm. You know, just, I don't know, organic satanic kind of rhyme. I think it's just kind of. But that's 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 our the blessed domicile that we occupy, and we're better for it. But when we drop off my 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 kids at the parasites' home, and uh, they basically grandparents like undo everything they taught you when you were the child in their home, and now that you know you're giving the grandkids now they're 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 pumping them full of Mountain Dew, they're they're stuffing them with Snickers bar. They're giving them all-you-can-eat gummy worms and just pounding it down them. And then they drop them off at your house just before supper. And they sit before this plate of organic broccoli, hand-peeled peas, you know, shaved lettuce. I, I mean, just like, mmm. All right, guys, let's eat. I don't want it. I, well, you got to eat it. I don't want it. I know you got to eat it. No. Yes. No. Yes. No. No. It goes back and forth, back and forth. Why, why do I got to eat it? Because I said so. I broke my vow. That has been my go-to phrase for many years. Because I said so. Because you want to know the truth? You can give your two-year-old, your three-year-old, your five-year-old a dissertation and expound to him the benefits of good healthy food versus unhealthy food. You could talk about, you know, insulin resistance. You could talk about, you know, it doing something to the teeth, creating, you know, potential cavities. You could talk about, you know, the struggle they have getting to bed. You're going to, you could talk to them about obesity. You could talk about type two diabetes. You can do all of that with a three-year-old and be right the entire time. But do you think it registers with a child that young? How many times do we stand before God and say, why, why, why? God, I want to know why. Why did my father die? Why did that person not get healed? Why am I going through this struggle? God, where are you? What's going on? Why, why, why? There's a man in the Bible named Job who went through probably worse than any of us have ever gone through, lost all his real estate, lost all his children, everything in one single day. And he had some questions, you better believe it, for God. Why? 
why, why? And finally God rolled back the curtain and he stepped into the audience of Job and he says, Job, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? And where were you when I told the oceans they could only go this far? And where were you when I cast the stars into the air and I named them and I counted them? Where were you? Job began to tremble and he slowed his role and he says, God, God, I'm sorry, you're right. God could answer you, but the truth is an infinite God, an eternal God, trying to expound the mysteries of God to a finite mortal. There's just some things that we do not comprehend. There's some things that we do not understand. At moments in our temptations, our trials, our circumstances and troubles, we just got to be still and know that he is God. God is God and I am not. Come on, somebody. God is God, and I am not. Lord, I will, though he slay me, yet will I trust you. Spitting, God spitting in man's face is not a one-time occasion. It happened two other times. Mark chapter 7 and Mark chapter 8. I want us to read through it. Verse 31 through 35. Again, departing from the coast of Tyre, Sidon, he comes to the Sea of Galilee through the midst of the coast of Decapolis. They bring unto him one that is deaf. He cannot hear as an impediment in his speech. And they begin to beseech Jesus. Jesus, we know how the miraculous works and we want it to be real convenient. Just, just touch him. And so Jesus separates them from the multitude and the peer pressure. Look at this. Look at verse 33. Jesus puts his fingers in his ears. Welcome, visitors. And he, someone say, spit. And then he touches his tongue. I mean, why, why don't they put that in the picture Bibles for children? It's always, you know, Jesus with the long robe and the blue, you know, and just a little child. I want to see the illustration. Our blessed Savior. He looks up to heaven, he sighs and says, Ephtha, Ephtha, that is, be opened. And straightway his ears were opened, his tongue was loose, and he spake plain. The next chapter, chapter 8, verse 22 through 25 he comes to Bethsaida, and he brings a blind man, someone who cannot see, and they again tell Jesus how to pray for him. Just touch him. And he takes the blind man, separates him from the multitude by the hand, leads him out of town, and he, someone say spit. He spit on his eyes, put his hands on him, and he asks if he can see. And he looked up, he says, I see men as trees walk. And after that, he put his hands upon him again and he made him look up he was restored and saw every man clearly now i'm i'm uh, i'm not the brightest crayon in the box the cheese slid off my cracker i'm i'm not very intelligent so for me to try to register and comprehend something i got to 
immerse myself into the story for it to come alive to understand some things. Jonathan, will you help me out? Come over here real fast. Real fast. There you go. And again, you know, the brown jean, not very. I didn't ask you to preach. Look at this guy. Now's my chance. I really don't even know if he's related to me because this doesn't happen in our family. He's adopted. But I take him as my own. You know, he loves him. You're going to help me out, okay? He's going to represent these two characters in Mark 7 and Mark 8. The blind man and the deaf man. One man was deaf. He could not hear. Can you hear? You can't answer that. Oh, you're reading my lips. Okay. He can't hear, but he can see everything. This is how this helps me in the story. So he can see Jesus, but he can't hear Jesus. So he can see Jesus doing this, but he can't hear. Now, if that offends you, that's how I envision Jesus spitting. I just don't see Jesus doing this. He was a carpenter, he was a man, and he spat with authority. All right, just, just, just give me that liberty, okay? All right? So he cannot hear the, but he can see the, and all of a sudden, he sees Jesus go, and everything slows down. He goes, no way. That projectile. This is the Messiah, the Son of God. This is, this is the Holy One of Israel. There's no way that, you, yep, he just spit. The other guy can hear, but he could not see. Close your eyes. Can you see? I'm going to put a blindfold over here. Yeah, there you go. Are you peeking? Don't look. This is church. Are you looking? Life was almost. Oh, you can't see? All right. Keep your eyes open. So Jesus leads him out, and he can hear all the words of Jesus. But he cannot see Jesus go. But he can hear. What do you think's going through this guy's mind? Jesus, is there a camel around here? And all of a sudden, he hears the release. There's, there's no way. But sure enough, right on his face, the Bible says he spit in his eyes. Can you, you can be see it. Can you imagine that? I, I'm not making this up. This really occurred. We're reading the word of God. How do you make sense of any? Of those things. Could you imagine, I, you know, if you've ever been a first-time guest anywhere in a church that you've not visited before, there's a nervousness, there's an anxiety, it's natural, that's normal, that's human. You don't know what to expect, and especially if it is going into a Pentecostal service and you're used to maybe being in a Baptist service or a Catholic, there's different cultures, different things that take place in those services. 
and you're already nervous, and, and, and then all of a sudden they say, hey, is anyone here need healing? Just come forward, and you're nervous enough as it is, but something inside you wants you to step forward, so you step forward, and you're like, okay, I'm believing for a miracle. And all of a sudden, you know, the, the, the preacher says, okay. Could, could you imagine me grabbing your tongue and saying, I believe God's going to heal you right now. But this all occurred in the world. You cannot make sense of everything in the word of God. There are things that do make sense, and there's things that do help our faith. But ultimately, some of the supernatural is a step of faith and a surrender and yielding of your will to the will of God and saying, God, I don't know what's going on right now, and I don't know what you're doing right now, but I'm going to trust you, Jesus. I'm going to believe you in this moment. How about the other guy when Jesus spit on his eyes and asked him if he saw, and it didn't even work the first time. Most people would be infuriated. They'd be upset. They'd be, That's disgusting. That's nasty. You're supposed to be a preacher. You're supposed to be the Messiah. You're supposed to be the anointed one. Uh, and they could have walked off. But see, anybody and everybody that stayed right there with Jesus along the way, the end result is they walked away with their miracle. If they would have left prematurely with an offense, and if they would have left prematurely with their feelings hurt, they would have remained in the state that they were. You may not get your healing today, but come back again. You may not get the Holy Ghost today, but come back again. Just stay in the presence of God say with the church of God and I can assure you this that God is faithful God is just and God is an on time God someone say hallelujah Matthew chapter 11 verses 1 through 6 I'm not going to read through all of them but what takes place here is John the Baptist was the one that built a following and prepared them for the Messiah to come. And all that preparation, all the people from the towns were coming out to the wilderness to hear his sermons. And he was preparing them for Jesus. And when Jesus was on the scene, he says, behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. He saw the dove ascending, descending upon Jesus. He heard the voice from heaven. It was a confirmation of the identity of the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, that is deity incarnate. He's the one. He's the one. And he took all of his followers and said, I must decrease. He must increase. And push them all that direction. Not any doubt in him whatsoever. But now he's in prison. And he's in that cell about to be beheaded. There's some things going through his mind in that circumstance. So he gets two messengers. He says, I need you to go talk to Jesus for me, please. And ask Jesus, is he the one or do we look for another? And so they, the messengers go to Jesus and they say the question that John had to Jesus. And Jesus says, well, tell John what you've seen. 
the, uh, the blind see, the deaf hear, the lame walk. And the messenger said, okay. And as they're about to go, and he says, oh, tell him one more thing. In verse 6 of Matthew 11, he says, tell John this. Blessed is he who is not offended in me. It's easy to believe for God when everything's going good. But waters are shaky and they're rough all of a sudden. There's, there's some questions that begin to rise in our human nature. In fact, Jesus had his largest gathering ever in John chapter 6. He had more disciples than he ever had. But he had to test the waters and he began to make some statements. And as he made those statements in verse 60, his disciples said, Jesus, this is a hard saying. Who can hear it? Who can receive this? And Jesus turns them in verse 61. He says, does this offend you? Does this offend you? In fact, before Jesus prayed in the garden at the end of his earthly ministry, before he was crucified at that last supper of communion in Matthew chapter 26 and verse uh, 31, he says to his disciples, he goes, all of you will be offended because of me. This night. Tonight you'll be offended because of me. We like to think as Christians, I'll never be offended with God. I'll never be mad at God. There's no way I believe him. I trust him. I might get mad at her. I might get mad at him. For sure them. I'm going to, yes. But not you, God. I trust you. But Jesus said, because of me. There's some things he says that are hard sayings. And there's some things that we go through that are very difficult. And there's moments. In fact, the context of Matthew chapter 26, he says, you'll be offended because of the plan of salvation. You're not going to like the death. You're not going to like the burial. But I'm telling you, this is all leading to the resurrection. And it still is the battle for people today to believe in the death, the burial, the resurrection. That New Testament, new birth plan of salvation. To die out to our sins and repentance. To be buried in Jesus' name, baptism. And to be filled with the resurrecting power of the Holy Ghost. But we cannot let the plan of salvation, though it may or may not make sense to people, it is what he said it is. And I'm going to believe him. I'm going to trust him. I'm going to die out to my sins. I'm going to be buried in that name. And I need that resurrecting power of the Holy Ghost in my life. You will be offended. You will be offended. But when you are offended and you feel like God spit in your face, recognize this. It's not to hurt you. It's to help you. It's not to inhibit you, but for a miracle to inhabit you. God wants to inhabit you with a miracle. Everybody that remained with God was healed. I'm going to hurry up as fast as I can. A second look at the first blind man that we talked about. John chapter 9, verse 1 through 3. Here's your Bible. I promise you. You live to preach another day. John chapter 9, verse 1 through 3. Let's revisit this first blind man that we talked about. Jesus passes by and he sees a man which was blind from his birth. He said, Master, who sinned him or his parents that he was born blind? He says he's not blind because of his sin, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. 
Your lot in life is not to wreck you, but it is to raise you. Your story is for his glory. Before you begin to entertain the idea that God is punishing you and you got something in your life that is wrong, always, yes, we should search our heart. Is there any wickedness in me? Is there any sin in me? But hear me, God wants to turn this for the good. The Bible says all things work together for good. Not all things are good. Life is hard. Not all things are good, but all things work together for good to them that love God who are called according to his purpose you are called of God he's got a purpose for your life and if you stay faithful to him and trust him he's gonna turn it for the good but look at this John chapter 9 verse 10 and 11 they asked the blind man the question how were your eyes open how were your eyes open and he answered and said, a man, can you put verse 11 on the screen? Leave that up there for a while, please. He answers and says, a man that is called Jesus made clay and he spit on my eyes. Is that what it says? What does the scripture say? He anointed my eyes. This man could have easily been defended by Jesus spitting. But when he was asked, the man never even mentioned spit. Read the scripture, study it out. He never brought up that Jesus spit. He simply said, Jesus anointed his eyes. Hear me, saying of God, it's all about having the right perspective and attitude. And today I submit to you that you have two choices brought before you. Get offended or get anointed. Whatever you're going through right now, those are your two choices. Are you going to get offended or are you going to get anointed? As for me in my house, I have a choice in my heart that I've settled in my spirit. Come what may, I may not like everything that lands on me, but in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I refuse to get offended, and I am determined to get anointed. If you can go through the process, if you can make it through the trial, God's refining you, and you're going to come out like gold. You're going to come out with an anointing on your life. You're, hear me. Those that get offended, build yokes. Those that get anointed, destroy yokes. Because unforgiveness and offense will only build a yoke that's going to be hard and heavy to carry for the rest of your life. But the Bible says in Isaiah 27 that the anointing is what destroys the yoke. Not breaks it. Something broken can be repaired. But there's an anointing you can get on your life that can destroy what has hurt you. You can destroy what has offended you. And it will never ever, ever have to be carried on your shoulders again. I choose to be anointed. I choose the anointing of God. I choose to have an authority over offense.
I'm not here on Sunday when pastor preaches. But if he's your stereotypical Pentecostal preacher, show enough, there's going to be spit. Especially when he gets off the, the platform, you're like, uh-oh, here it comes. And he starts moving, and then, and then he stands on the chair. You're, already, you're like, where's my umbrella? Where's that umbrella? Because it... Because that's what we do. You got that umbrella. You want a piece of advice? Leave your umbrella at home. Come to church with a bucket and say, lay it on me, pastor. I want everything that you got to say to get into my life right now. I'm not going to dodge it. I'm not going to deflect it. I want... I want the word of God to get on me. I want the anointing of God on my. It's interesting to me that Jesus used spit to heal someone blind and someone deaf. For those are the two most obvious and most re, uh, uh, reoccurring play, uh, access points of offense. We get offended by what we see and we get offended by what we hear. But see, if you can look at Jesus and you can listen to your pastor when he's preaching, they're not trying to offend me. They're not trying to hurt me. They're trying to anoint me. I want to be anointed. I want anointing. I'm not going to get offended. I'm going to. This church is blessed. Look, if you're here today. And you're a guest and you're, you've just been kind of going through Rock Island trying to find a home church. A good church is hard to find these days. There's shysters out there. There's charlatans. There's some selfish people. There's some wicked things out there in churches. We all know that. We've all seen it. A good church is hard to find these days where you can trust them. And you can trust your children to be there. If you're here today and you're church hopping, it's not, you know, you're church hopping, that's great. But it's time, it don't, you don't want to be flipping and flopping, hipping and hopping. It's time to best be stopping. This is a great church. This is a great church. This is great children's ministry, great youth ministry, great young adult ministry. You got great, you got a great church here. You guys got this wonderful building. You know what the adversary is going to do? He's going to try to slip some offense in this room to kill the revival and the growth of the refuge. And it don't take much to get offended. You know, you're sitting in service and all of a sudden teacher comes and brings out your precious little Susie. Hey, I know pastor's preaching, but I just want you to know Susie's just kind of being a little. So if you could just talk to her. Thank you. And the parent How dare they? Not my Susie. <sighs> Rule number one to children, trust none of them. <laughs> they lie. I don't really know what happened. I was just sitting in class. I was praying and memorizing 
reading scripture and I was giving to the poor and then she said, I got to get out. That sweet little Lucy, that's short for Lucifer. <laughs> what you need to do is now parent and take responsibility. Don't try to be their friend and cover up, but actually teach them and discipline them. <laughs> but what we do, ah, I can't believe it. What a miserable, pathetic teacher. She doesn't know what she's doing. She doesn't have a degree. I'm a professor. <sighs> you look at the, the music platform. Why isn't my boy playing the drums? He's a lot better than that other guy. <laughs> you can tell he doesn't even know what he's doing. Why am I not the lead singer? Why am I not the piano? It doesn't take much for something to work its way into us. And all of a sudden, when we come to church, everything is bothering us. We don't, we, we, we don't see anything that we should be seeing, and we don't hear anything that we should be hearing. We now have a damaged filter of offense that cascades. Everything goes through that filter of offense, and everything is bothering us, and everything that was preached was wrong. And I'm telling the entire time your pastor is preaching, his motive is pure. It is not with the intention, how can I harm them? How can I try to paralyze them? How can I mess them up? No, look. 99% of offense is by misunderstanding. The entire time Saul thought David was out to get him, but the entire time David was supporting Saul and lifting up Saul and fighting for Saul. But when you got an offended spirit and you got that insecurity brewing inside of you, you see everything through offense and you begin to attack the very thing that's anointed. You don't want to attack the very thing that's anointed because that anointing has a blessing for you. If you would just partner with it, if you would unite with it, if you would believe and agree, I'm just about done. I'm a, I'm a long-winded preacher. I know that. But when you're four foot nothing, you compensate with big, long sermons. Planting a church is hard. And you're trying to do everything you can to help everybody. In the early stages, we I remember our first convert. It was a lot of work. I was so excited the day we were going to baptize her in Jesus' name. We didn't have a baptistry. We, we, had, we got a horse trough. And we went to baptize her. I turned on the faucet, and, you know, it's January. It's negative 30 degrees. Not feel-like temperature. That, like, really is the temperature. And then you do the feel-like thing. You know, it's negative 80. And you turn on the faucet. It's like an ice machine. It's spitting out ice. I'm like, man, I can't deep freeze her in Jesus' name. So I told her, just give me a little time, I'll, I'll, and we'll baptize you tomorrow on Sunday. And so I, I woke up at 5 o'clock in the morning. I got all the pots in the pans I could, and I put them on the stove, and I started heating them up. And I carried up pot after pot and put it into that baptistry for five hours. The church service is starting. You see this steam coming out of the horse trough. I'm like, we're going to steep her in Jesus' name. Because I believe this message. 
There's some other convenient things we could have did. But we baptized her in Jesus' name. It was amazing. And it took, I, I can't remember exactly, but it was somewhere around four years before we finally got her husband in the church and her children, all of them, you know, getting baptized, filled with the Holy Ghost. And that was the first complete family unit we had in the church. We were celebrating. But, you know, we, we needed, you guys know about building programs and raising money. We, we were having church in a split-level home. And every time it grew, we just knocked down walls. And the upstairs was the church. The downstairs, my wife and I slept. And I, I uh, when you're snowed in and you're living in a basement, you know, you kind of lose your mind. So I thought of a way to raise money. I made peanut brittle. I mean, I made so much peanut brittle. I took on the color of peanut brittle. Like before there was Donald Trump, there was me. I was orange. I was orange. Walking vitamin C. And so I, 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 had, I had it all laid out across the altar for that Sunday. So I was so excited that we're going to sell peanut brittle to raise funds to update and fix things around here. Sister so-and-so comes to church, and she is, she ain't having it. She is mad. And so we go through service. I just, I mean, it's like a radiator. You can just feel the heat coming off. I'm like, whew, it's a little hot in here. <laughs> and she stormed off after service. So I called her, and I talked to her. I said, hey, how you doing? Everything okay? She goes, they're trying to kill my kid. What do you mean? They're allergic to peanuts. I'm like, is that a real thing? I have never heard in my life of a peanut allergy. I was raised on Reese's eggs. Oh. I love peanut butter. And I'm like, I am so sorry. That was not what we intended to do. I didn't know. That wasn't my motive. And so my wife and I go on the rebound. So we make the most stellar, epic comeback with gift baskets for their children. I mean, anyone in this room would want the gift basket. And so we go to the house. We knock on the door. Nobody's home, but it's South Dakota, so you just walk in. The door is unlocked. And we, we put the gift baskets there, and we close it, and we head out. And sometime later that day, I see the phone call. It's her. I'm like, I already know what's going to happen. I'm so sorry, Pastor. You are like the bomb.com. You're the best ever. So I'm like, hello. They're trying to kill my kids. Like, did you get the gift basket? Yes. There were butterfingers in there. I didn't know this. But butterfingers have peanut butter in them. I know now. They left the church. Some years later, I'm at South Dakota church camp driving home, and I get a phone call. It's from the husband. I haven't talked to him in a couple of years. And I answer the phone. I'm like, hey, how you doing? I said, Pastor, I'm so glad you answered the phone. 
I'm at someone's house. I got a gun. I'm about to kill him. I say, I, I need you to put away the gun. What's going on? He says, well, my wife is having an affair with this guy. And uh, I don't know what to do. Well, think about your kids. They need a father. You don't want to go to prison. You don't want to take someone's life. We talked him away from the ledge. And thankfully, you know, he didn't do it. Over something so trivial and petty. Your offense can build and grow into other things. Because offense has fruit as well. Obviously, there were deeper issues than the peanut allergy. We know that. But when there is a root of bitterness, it starts bleeding out into areas. And it's only going to get worse. It's not going to get better. Can you lift your hands for a moment? I'm going to come to a close soon here, but I want you to lift your hands in this room. I want you to be honest and transparent before God and say, God, I want you to speak to me in these next few months. I believe that there is healing in this room. I believe with all my heart that there is healing virtue that God wants to release into this room. And God is going to do something so supernatural for people right now. I pray in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, not by my might and not by my power, but by the spirit of the living God. Lord, no gimmicks. Lord, no worked up emotion. I believe for the supernatural to be manifest in this room right now. I pray, God, that you would do only what you can do. I believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, every force that would appear to be impenetrable. I pray, God that your spirit would prevail right now. No weapon formed against a person in this room to prosper. The gates of hell will not prevail against the church of the living God. When the enemy comes in like a flood, the spirit of the Lord is going to lift up a standard right now. I pray in the name of Jesus. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in this world. I will not doubt. I will not fear. I choose to believe and I pray God that there is healing in this room. The Bible says in Proverbs 18, 19, a brother offended is harder to be won than a strong city. And their contentions are like the bars of a castle. Offense is a powerful, impenetrable force, it would appear. I'm so glad that you all have built this building. I celebrate with you. But if you were to build this building today, if everybody that got offended would instead been anointed and stayed, this is a tiny building. In nine years of ministry in Rock Island think of all the people that were here that used to come here but an offense got into their spirit and it became a strong city and the contention became like the bars of a castle but I say in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that there is going to be a healing that takes place 
here. You know what's amazing? I, I never thought of this before until I was praying this morning. The reason why we believe in healing is because of the blood of Jesus. The Bible says in Isaiah 53, with his stripes, you are healed. You know why we believe in forgiveness? The blood of Jesus. Both are connected to the blood. I share a personal story and I wrap this up. A number of years ago, I, th I thought I had cancer. I had some pretty not good symptoms. We didn't have money. We didn't go to the doctor. I'm, I'm just stubborn. But I, I, I had some concerns. My wife, she had, she had this big cyst on her wrist, both going through our health situations. I prayed, I believed for God to heal me. And I didn't understand why he wouldn't. And I was sitting at a table with other preachers, and an elder was at the table, a what you could call a faith healer. I mean, he, he walked in that realm, the real thing. And I started asking him questions about faith and healing. And I said, why is it I can have so much faith in God's word to be applied in someone's life right then and there when I pray for them? And it would appear as if they have the same faith to receive it and to be healed. And without hesitation, he says, very likely they have a spirit of infirmity. And if God would heal them, it would basically give approval of their lifestyle. And they would never deal with the deeper issue that's inside of them. And the moment he said that, I literally had as near as out-of-body experience as I could explain to you. I got lost in the setting. And it was like God played a movie reel before my eyes. And everyone around me, they were still talking. And it just disappeared like womp, 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 womp. And God showed me a person. And he says, you have a spirit of infirmity. You have unforgiveness in your spirit. You have not forgiven them. And I said, God, I have forgiven him. I said it to his face. I told I got on my knees and I forgave him. Though he did me much damage. He did me much wrong. I chose to humble myself and say sorry. Not only that, but we would send offerings to him. Because the Bible says a gift in secret pacifieth anger. And even when his children fell into sin, I helped them financially with their, this out of wedlock child. I, I, I was trying to prove that I didn't have unforgiveness in me. And I was like, God, I forgave him. He says, then why do you tell people his name and the story and what he did to you? He says, you only tell people about what he did to you because you want him to look bad and you look good. And that is not forgiveness. And when the Lord said that, 
I resolved immediately, I will never mention his name. And I will never, ever throw him under the bus ever again. And instantly, I felt virtue flow through my body. And everything was gone. And the Lord said, you and your wife are healed. I picked up my phone. I called my wife. And I told her what I just told you. And her cyst disappeared. I'm telling you, the Lord totally healed our bodies. You don't have to believe it, and that's fine. But I stand here in the fear of God, and I tell you, it happened just like I told you. God healed us. But see, healing is connected to the blood. Forgiveness is connected to the blood. And when you cut off the spout of forgiveness, you're cutting off the same channel that the blood flows through to heal you. There is a mass healing that is going to take place in this room if you would align with the will of God and be humble enough and courageous enough to say, God, I do have an element of resentment in me. I do have some unforgiveness in me. And I choose to forgive. And when you forgive, that conduit has never been more open than in that moment for the blood of Jesus to flow through, through your soul. And you are going to find the forgiveness you give, the Bible says given, it shall be given. We like to connect that to money every time. But that principle applies to forgiveness as well. You know what forgiveness is? It's forgiving. It, it's meant for you to give to somebody. Forgive and it shall be given. And the same measure in which you forgive is the same measure it's going to come down back on you, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. I believe an overflow of forgiveness in this room, and I believe an overflow of healing in this room. Would you stand to your feet with me right now? Ah, I feel the Holy Ghost so strong. Ah, I feel the Holy Ghost so strong. If our piano player can come up here and just play something softly for a moment while people begin to think on the Lord in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I, I love you, God. 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 I love you, I know this is a different setting, a different service. Perhaps it's not what you anticipated. You wanted maybe some high-octane faith moment. But I, I tell you, I could only do what I feel the Holy Ghost has told me to do. There's somebody not, I believe it's more than one. I believe there is a good number of people in this room that God wants to help heal you right now. And for you to step forward by faith, no one's going to mock you. No one's going to damn 
condemn you. Nobody's going to slam you and isolate you and put a scarlet letter on you. We're all human. We're all susceptible to offense. We're all vulnerable. We all make mistakes. It's not if God spits in your face. It's when God spits in your face. And you may be mad at someone in this room, but perhaps I'm talking to some people. You're a little questioning God right now. God, why? Why did I lose my cousin to COVID-19? God, why did my grandpa pass? God, why did that marriage fall apart? God, why are things the way they are right now? The Lord is just wanting you to trust him right now and not get offended. And if you will not get offended, you're going to come out anointed and you will have authority over the adversary of offense and you're going to walk in a newfound freedom. I wonder if there's some people in this room that want to gather as close as you can to this altar and begin to lift your voices to Jesus and say, Jesus, I do not want to get offended. I want to get anointed. Come on, is there some people in this room right now you want to be real with God? You don't want to put on your, your Sunday best to pretend like you're perfect. No, we're not perfect. We're human. We're sinners that fall short of the glory of God. But I promise you right now, there's a healing word in this room. And there's virtue in this room. And I serve a God who does not lie. For the word of the Lord says it is impossible for God to lie. Let God be true and every man a liar. The promises of God in him are yea and in him amen and if you need God to confirm something in you right now this altar is open you don't got to be ashamed you don't got to be timid you don't got to be embarrassed you just got to trust God and humble yourself and say Lord though you slay me yet will I trust you Lord I trust you Lord I trust you come on you need to open up a little bit right now come from the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks You've got to open up your mouth and you've got to let what's in your heart begin to flow out that valve right now. Come on, death and life are in the power of the tongue. Come on, begin to speak right now. You've been penting it up so long. You've been harnessing it so long that it's held you hostage. I want you to open up those bars of that castle of your mouth and begin to let it flow out of you. And as you pour out, God's going to pour in. Come on. Come on, lift up your voice. Find your voice right now. Find your voice right now. God wants to hear your prayer. I can't pray in place of you. I can't pray in place. I can pray for you, but I can't pray the prayer you need to pray because your life is not my life. Come on, you need to talk to God. I'm talking to some people. I, I can tell you stories of people that were molested by an uncle as a child, and they held resentment. What he did was absolutely wrong, but the bitterness that began to build in their life and the lifestyle that began to ensue after that. It was devastating. But the day they found forgiveness was the day of peace that surpassed it. All understanding began to come in. Come on, you might have been abused. You might have been molested. You may have never known your father, but I'm telling you there's a heavenly father here today and he loves you and he'll take you as you are and he will work on you if you would just begin to surrender. Surrender your past. Surrender your present. Come on, commit to him in the future right now. Hey, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't want you looking at me right now. I want you closing your eyes. Drown out everything around you. Close your eyes. Drown out everything around you. 
And I want you to talk to God personally right now. Come on, open your mouth and lift your voices. Open your mouth and lift your voices. I pray the healing virtue of God flow through this room right now. I come against the spirit of offense in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And God, I grab it by the root. And in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I uproot it right now. And I cast it out in Jesus' name. I uproot the bitter root of offense. And I pray, God, that there would be a sweet flow of forgiveness and mercy and compassion and grace in this house right now. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's it. That's it. Come on, church. It's okay to cry. It's beautiful. There's a lot of tears right now. You got nothing to be embarrassed about. There's nothing to be embarrassed about. There's healing in this. <laughs> yes. Go ahead and pray in the Holy Ghost. Go ahead and pray in the Spirit. You got nothing to be ashamed of. What you're doing right now is Bible. Everything being done right now is found in the Bible. We got nothing to be ashamed of. Come on, that's it. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. I come against that resistance right now, God. I break it down in Jesus' name. I break it down in Jesus' name. Oh, that's it, that's it, that's it. Lift your voices, lift your voices, lift your voices.